midweek madness from Anfield to Amsterdam as Spurs and Liverpool enter the halls of legend and Ajax and Barca make the most unfortunate cup appearances since that latte turned up on the table at Winterfell. How, who, when, why and whither? We'll be asking those questions and then talking about the final weekend of the Premier League. Title now all but sorted, of course, unless Brighton could do City in what would be the biggest upset since literally yesterday. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. What are the chances of a red montada for Liverpool? Unfortunately, without Firmino and Salah, there just isn't the attacking structure there. Is this the classic Spurs end of season blow up? What's going to happen to them in the cauldron of the Johan Cruyff Arena? I think Ajax will go through. I just think Ajax are an absolutely brilliant team. Dali Ali slipped it through. Incredible drama! And he goes in! He goes in! He sits in! Spurs scored! No! 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 It's gebeurd! It is a nightmare! It is an absolute nightmare! Well, here we are, still together, and officially now I think football has moved into flip reverse land, where it's joined this week on the Totally Football Show by Alvaro Romeo. Hello. Natalie Jedra is with us. Hola. From ESPN Brazil. Bom <laughs> dia. And uh, ooh, uh, from High Wycombe and Opta, Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. Alvaro, as I probably don't need to remind you, you're from TalkSport International. Absolutely, yes. And Spain. Yes. W- what a great time to be in this wonderful country covering the wonderful Premier League, Alvaro. <laughs> it is a great time and it has been a great time since uh, England made it to the World Cup semi-finals. I think that this is just another chapter of uh, English football success uh, in the recent uh, 12 months. And yes, I'm very proud to be covering this and we'll have an old English final between Liverpool and Spurs and uh, I cannot wait for it to happen. OK. It will be in Madrid, in the Wanda Metropolitano. It certainly will. Uh, Natalie, how long have you been uh, covering the English football? It's my third season. Third season. Yes, right. the most exciting one by far. Right. Oh, it's amazing. As a neutral, you can really enjoy it. So you can imagine how much I'm I'm really enjoying myself watching all this this amazing English sides here. Yeah. And you 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 were at Anfield on on yes, Tuesday. Yes, I was. Crikey. Duncan, what a, what a time to be alive and, and, and dealing in unusual sporting statistics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, the big takeaway from this week, content. But um, I know it was just mad. We were saying a bit earlier how that Vincent Company goal on Monday night now feels like about two years ago. So yeah. it's just relentless. Yeah, t- two extraordinary nights of, of Champions League. And thank goodness they're planning to reform it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is actually a genuinely quite worrying prospect because I think what's been so good about it the last few years is the very knockout nature of it and big clubs don't really like getting knocked out of the Champions League and they have a lot of influence and you know I hope that we don't look back on these few seasons as the kind of pinnacle of of the competition hopefully this is the start of something that will continue. It was a midweek that reduced the hard men of soccer to tears so how did Liverpool and Spurs do it? That's what we're asking. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. 
Let's start with Spurs. Some Liverpool was amazing, Natalie, on Tuesday, but Spurs with what would have been the last kick in the last second of the game, and the the director certainly in the UK absolutely losing it and cutting up flash frames of everybody from who was it Harry Kane to Peter Walton to John F Kennedy. John F Kennedy was there, (laughs) sooty and sweet, looking perplexed. Two incredible comebacks then so far this week. Spurs remarkable because of the way it began with Ajax actually getting the early goal and Spurs who hadn't actually scored in two and a half hours of this tie then suddenly turning it around through Lucas Moura and his final goal the one that sends them through with literally the last what would have been the last second of the game a goal that was reacted to on Brazilian TV like this Emociona, né, Lucas? É difícil falar. Eu sonhei muito com com esse momento. Natalie, what, what's going on there? <laughs> okay, so the commentators say that it's uh, the body is not responding anymore. It's all about the heart, and it, it had to be you, Lucas. And then his reaction when he he sees the goal, it's uh, like it's hard for me to explain. Uh, I dreamt a lot with this moment ever since I was a little kid. I wanted to play Champions League and I wanted to win Champions League, and now I'm in the final. And I have the opportunity to to like give this, this joy. This was his reaction afterwards. Yes, yeah, yes. And he's in floods of tears when he hears the commentary. Yes, yes, yes. It was amazing. Where did that come from? That that Mora hat trick last night. How did Spurs turn this around? Ajax had been so strong in the first half. Where did this come from? Well, talking first about Lucas, I think he he was always a very skillful player ever since he started in Brazil. Uh, but I think he really matured here in England. First in PSG, but now here in England, he he reached another level of his football. And uh, talking about the team, you see the emotion. I, I always thought that Spurs they were a very emotional team. You know, they they play with their heart, and I think that reflects a little bit uh, from the manager because he's just like that. And you see that in Liverpool and Klopp, and you see that in Spurs and Mauricio. So that really makes them an attractive team, and, and it's all about that. I think this Champions League this season shows how important managers are. You know, you look Absolutely. at Klopp, you look at Pochettino, and you look at some clubs who've been struggling with managers, you know, Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, Manchester United, you know, all didn't progress in the Champions League as far as they would have liked to because of, you know, they don't have managers necessarily that are, that are doing what they need to do. I would like to say that uh, even Ernesto Valverde uh, now is uh, under question uh, because Champions League defines the season of many clubs at the minute. And uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, the likes of Juventus. Sometimes uh, they take uh, winning the title, the league title, as granted. And uh, Champions League, it is what defines the season, uh, their season from now on. So uh, this has uh, become a new scenario for all these clubs. And uh, obviously there, there will be some consequences for those clubs that haven't won the Champions League or haven't made it to the semi finals this year, like Juventus, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern, they will have to rebuild their squads completely. Because they only got to the semi-finals. Do you know who it was who sold Lucas Moura to Spurs, by the way? <laughs> Unai Emery. It was Unai yeah. Emery. Playing the long game. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't playing him, actually. <laughs> Lucas wasn't playing for his last six months in, in PSG. and wow. then He was always a very good player, though. I mean, uh, the thing is that uh, PSG 
tends to overfill their squads with strikers and wingers, but uh, which is what's happening right now, for example, to Julian Draxler, a top player that uh, doesn't play too much for PSG or where he would like to play. But Lucas, uh, when he was playing with Labetzi, when he was playing with uh, Cavani or Ibra, he was probably the most skillful player around and the most fun to watch of PSG at the time, and that was four years ago. Well, he's also the, the most recent Tottenham signing in, ja- in January 2018, which is, you know, everyone knows Spurs don't sign players very often, but um, they might be able to this summer. Although there are only 68 days between the Champions League final and the closing of the transfer window, so <laughs> to get a move on. Absolutely. Can we have a word about, I know you want to give us a word on, on Pochettino, because Klopp on Tuesday, you can imagine what his team talk was like at half time. We've got the early goal, we're on our way, but it was the exact opposite for Pochettino how did he get them up for that second half having gone behind he and then was, that Ziyech goal which made it 2-0 yeah he was always bold he was always bold during the whole Champions League campaign and you gotta give that to him because he has of course uh, a group of players who really embrace his ideas but he really knows what he's doing everybody knows uh, what Pochettino wants uh, in, the, in the pitch and uh, he never gave up on his ideas, on the ideas that that he had for the team. So it's amazing. I think we need to give credit too to two players who've been criticised a bit recently, Deli Ali and Hugo Lloris. Lloris, I mean, a bit like Alisson the previous night, you know, made some key saves at a crucial point. And and that pass from Deli Ali for Lucas's third goal was, I mean, in the 95th minute of a game, that is is good. It wasn't just in the semi-final as well that Spurs were coming from behind. Their whole Champions League campaign has been teetering on the verge of disaster from day one. Yeah, I was going to say that, James, because uh, the group stage wasn't easy for them. They were virtually virtually out. Uh, they had a really difficult group stage against Barcelona, against mm-hmm. PSV and Doven, which, by the way, they were a very good club. Uh, and Inter Milan, probably Inter, uh, having finished third of that group, they, they were the weakest of all of them. Uh, I saw Inter in Wembley and they were terrible. So Tottenham had to liaise with that. They had to liaise with many injuries this season. Uh, Harry Kane being one of them, but Jan Vertonghen has been one of them. The loss of Moussa Dembele as well, a really important player in the team uh, for a ridiculous amount, 10 million. So, I mean, that, that is a very cheap sale. And uh, it's a team of survivors. And I think that uh, in the same way that we have to recognize the job of uh, Hugo Loris and uh, Dele Alli, I think that Fernando Llorente changed the game just Okay, he may yes. not be the favorite striker of uh, England, neither Athletic Bilbao supporters, but yesterday he he made a lot of trouble for the Ligt um, because he is a player who can uh, get the ball, uh, all the aerial challenges, he can win them and he brings something in the game that perhaps won't be Tottenham style moving ahead for the season, but he brings a resource and a tool that is very valid in the football games. He's a little bit the Fellaini of Spurs, and uh, I think that he was very important for them yesterday. Yeah, and it's good to point out that uh, Lucas Hattrick, uh, all three goals happened after Lorente was playing, uh, which means that he changed the way that Lucas was playing, because he, Lucas was playing as a false nine, like he did in many moments of the season, and when Lorente entered the, the pitch, Lucas uh, Lucas, he got a little more freedom and he had more space to do what he does best. Yeah, it was almost, it was hard to tell what formation Spurs were playing at the end of the mm-hmm. game. It's so many forwards on by the end. I mean, one man who's under huge pressure now is uh, Harry Kane's ankle doctor, I imagine. Right. <laughs> Although the way he sprinted on at the final whistle. So yeah, it looked, that, uh, looked robust. It did indeed. All sorts of scenes at that final whistle. Pochettino in tears players into his Ajax, their players who immediately collapsed, almost like someone had just knifed their leader 
in a, a reference to a popular TV drama. Um, Ten Hag, though, I th- he looks so composed as Pochettino came over to. My heart broke a little bit for for Ajax. They've been so special throughout this tournament. That Ziyech goal was unbelievable. Um, loath as I am to kind of buy into this narrative that English teams have got more character than anyone else, because I don't think that is, you know, demonstrably true. But it is a fact that. English clubs have come from two or more goals behind to win on seven occasions in Champions League history, which is four more than clubs of any other nation. Right. Four, of the, four of the last five times it's happened have been English teams. Oh, I think Italians certainly believe that English clubs have more spirit, more never-say-die mentality. And Spanish as well. Yeah? Yes. That's the view in Spain. And that's the view in Spain. And what, what do they think of Brazil? Is it something that, that's discussed particularly or, or not? No. Not really, but I wanted to talk about the physicality okay. because uh, in the semi-finals, everybody's asking what's happening because we have two, two English teams in the Champions League uh, final. And uh, I think if you look at the Premier League, every year it's just getting more and more demanding uh, in technical terms and especially in physical terms as well. So Ajax rested all of their play, they didn't play, and the same happened to to Barcelona. They rested uh, their their players on the weekend, and even so, you have the English teams who are just so in such a high level. Interesting, of- Natalie, because iPad McQuack uh, tweeting into us this morning asking, uh-huh. "Is rest a good thing?" <sighs> it can certainly be a bad thing to win the title too early. I really believe that that uh, distresses uh, teams, and uh, that has happened to Juventus, mm. has happened to Barcelona in the last okay. couple of years as well. Bayern and Pep's first season there, so and it happens to PSG. Mm. All right. Yes, it certainly hasn't happened to to Ajax yet because they've still got the uh, title to settle in Holland. But absolutely extraordinary on Wednesday night, and of course Tuesday night was similar as well. Shall we move on then to what happened right in front of your eyes, Natalie, at Anfield on Tuesday? Join me on my journey through time. Where shall we go, sir? Ancient Egypt. Caesar's Rome. No, my kitchen about an hour ago. Told the wife her new hairstyle was a brave choice, didn't I? Oh, everyone makes mistakes, but with Paddy Power's money-back specials, they don't cost you as much. This weekend, get money back as a free bet if Mane scores for Liverpool against Wolves. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Selected markets only applies to first bet on all losing goal scorer, correct score and what odds Paddy bets on the match. Match refund £10 as a free bet. T's and C's apply, 18plusbegambleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Tuesday, Natalie, you were at Anfield for this incredible comeback performance. Once they got that early goal, it felt like it was on the cards. Is that right? Yes, yes, it did. And actually, the atmosphere was very confident once, uh, not not even once the game started, because it was before that, uh, everybody was already chanting. And uh, they, they were really believing from first minute uh, that Liverpool could pull it off. And it was, uh, well, I've been here for three years. It's my third season covering uh, English football. And it was by far the best atmosphere I've seen in a stadium, because I've never seen a stadium that was so loud during 90 minutes because you have those peaks eventually especially on Champions League nights but it was 90 minutes of just pure noise and chants and it, it was it was something well I'm South American so I'm used to that because South American stadiums they are like that but I was impressed I was impressed with the atmosphere at Enfield okay let's talk about the miracle within the miracle Divock Origi where did this come from? Uh, Daniel's story writing, he was the tin of rice pudding or jar of Thai curry paste at the back of the cupboard. You can't remember quite why it's still there or when you'll use it, but there it remains. I think he played nine minutes last season 
for Liverpool. They loaned him out to Wolfsburg. They tried to get rid of him in the summer. And now this campaign, he's come up with the goal in the 96th minute against Everton, the goal last Saturday, which keeps Liverpool in the title race at Newcastle, and this extraordinary brace. Well, firstly, Dan needs to start keeping his jam in the fridge. And, um, yeah, I mean, Origi, I mean, I think he's going to be offered a new contract because Klopp's been so impressed. That end of Anfield as well, the cup end, I mean, that Pickford scenario against Everton when he literally, he hadn't played for Liverpool for almost 18 months. Um, and then I think obviously everyone's focused on the corner for the fourth goal and how well Trent Alexander-Arnold did, and it was brilliant. But Origi's finish was really, really good. I mean, if you look at it, the ball's in the air, he side-foots it and gets it into the top corner. I mean, it was really, really impressive. And, you know, that goal will, will be iconic. Liverpool this season, just in Premier League, they have uh, collected 16 points coming from behind. And uh, I saw that in Champions League, unfortunately, uh, for Barcelona's interest the other day. Liverpool is a relentless club and probably is the best club in Europe. This is uh, just uh, an opinionated thing, but I, I don't think that there is any club like Liverpool at the minute that plays with the energy, the intensity. And right now, Right now, Manchester City is surviving in the league, uh, winning one nil many games. And Liverpool, true, against Newcastle, they had a difficult time. But uh, you can really tell that there is something working for them very well. In the machine is working. And Barcelona had a terrible time at Anfield because they didn't know how to liaise with, uh, with the advantage, which is uh, something very surprising considering how experienced Barcelona players are. And it is something very unsurprising considering how bad they have dealt with the home advantages right. lately. They beat Roma for one last season, then they lost at Roma, and this season the same thing happened at Liverpool, which is uh, inexplicable to me, but it has to be possible to explain for Barcelona's sporting director and Barcelona's president, because this summer there will have to be changes, and this uh, loss of Barcelona will have consequences. This is probably the heaviest and hardest defeat of Barcelona since uh, European uh, final or Champions League final 1994 against Milan. Barcelona right. lost 4 nil, and that time there were, there were some consequences. Laudrup, Zubizarreta, Romario left, and I think at this time Probably Valverde won't stay. It's either his resignation or the club changing managers. And a couple of players like Rakitic, for example, right. could be also marked forever. How about Usman Dembele, who, who, who stuffed up that, that chance to make it 4-0 in the first leg? <laughs> yeah, and uh, three days later, uh, he got an injury in the first minute of the Barcelona game. Uh, he, from he, one of his teammates? Uh, no, <laughs> on his own. Yeah, he, he picked an injury because uh, some say that he didn't do a proper warm-up in the Barcelona game, uh, in the league game. It wasn't right. important. And uh, that brings you again the, the question of how professional Dembele is. He had a, he had a personalized cook uh, for a year because he didn't know how to eat properly. Uh, and he was basically, uh, his diet was pizzas and hamburgers. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, he is a player that uh, has had so many injuries that uh, probably there is something to address in there. And also Philippe Coutinho, the other guy who came uh, with the money spent or received from the Neymar transfer. Uh -huh. I mean, Coutinho and Dembele, they were bought just to replace Neymar and none of them have uh, shown the quality to play for Barcelona. Well, Dembele has done, has done it, has shown the quality, but barely. And uh, he's got so many injuries that it's very difficult to, to rely on this player for a full season, but Philippe Coutinho's uh, last third of the season has been appalling. Uh, the other day at Anfield, it was like he didn't play, and uh, Barcelona cannot afford to play with 10 men when Coutinho is right. on the pitch. And look who Liverpool spent the money they got for Coutinho on, you know, Alisson and Van Dijk, which has worked out pretty good. Pretty well. <laughs> for all of that, Alvaro, how was it that Barcelona and Messi went from kind of gods that walk among us six days before 
to shadows, people, you know, looking bewildered and, 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 and bamboozled as, as the tide just drifted away from them in that second half. How, how did that happen? Yeah, I mean... And as you say, it's the second year in a row because we saw the exact same scenes in Rome this time last year. Yeah, I said before that it's inexplicable, but at the same time there are some key factors in there that didn't help Barcelona. Number one, the 3 nil victory at Camp Nou was absolutely deceptive. Liverpool deserved much more. Yeah. Number two, Barcelona played Arturo Vidal in midfield and Philippe Coutinho in the left wing, and those are players that don't keep the ball. And in between the second and the third goal of Liverpool, there was a 30 seconds difference, uh, which tells you that Barcelona didn't know how to keep the ball. That is the mantra of Barcelona, and that is the uh, grammar of Barcelona, how to keep the ball. We know how to do it, and the rest of the teams cannot cope with that. Well, Barcelona doesn't do that anymore because they got a player who can do it, Artur, and he wasn't on the pitch. They had a player who could do that, Iniesta, he left. And uh, fortunately, the young is coming this summer just to help the possession game again. But Barcelona has votes the, the great way of playing they had for results. And this may work in La Liga, but when you go to the Champions League, you better have a proper plan. And Barcelona played defensively in Anfield. It seems that Valverde didn't learn anything from the first game because... Uh, from Rome last year. Or from, yeah, but especially the first game was uh, uh, just a week uh, behind. In that game, it became very clear that, uh, especially in the in the resume of the second half, that uh, Philippe Coutinho uh, wasn't up to the challenge and Barcelona needed to have someone to help uh, Sergi Roberto, like Semedo. And uh, that uh, substitution didn't come until the 60th minute in Anfield either. And I believe that Barcelona suffered a lot from that thing, that uh, they were not defending the Henderson angle very well. And that's why I'm saying that the defeat uh, leaves uh, an indelible mark on Coutinho and on Valverde as well, because he didn't know how to read the game. He didn't learn anything from the first uh, home game and he did the changes too late. Of course, we were too distracted, I quote, with uh, Messi's perf individual performance. Right. But uh, Liverpool, as you said, Alvaro played be uh, so much better. The, the better team qualified and, and he kept the same starting eleven. I don't understand why why he, it, he didn't start with Artur. In, you know, I mean, Artur for sure, who's also shone, especially against English sides earlier in, in the yeah. season. But in his defence, I mean, as we heard before, None of us thought that there was any chance of Liverpool doing this, or at least, I mean, oh, sorry, Duncan, you thought, but most people didn't give Liverpool any chance. And this was a team that had just won 3 0. Yeah, but Valverde, he, he had to know. He had to know because you, you can never underestimate these circumstances right. as a manager, as a Barcelona manager, as uh, with everything that already has happened with Barcelona and uh, in the previous Champions League. So he, he needed to know, he needed to make improvements. I'm always a bit uncomfortable when teams try and win a trophy for a player. You know, the narrative this season was all, you know, let's win it for Messi. Messi right. deserves another Champions League. And, and you know, I mean, he's skipped games this season specifically to be ready for the Champions yeah, League. Yeah, and he did look, he still looked dangerous at Anfield. I mean, yeah. he had five shots and he created the other three shots to the other yeah. players. He was clearly a danger in the game, but, you know, everything's trying to go through him. And, you know. The, the thing is that uh, five years ago, Lionel Messi was the final point of Barcelona. He was the one scoring the goals. Four years ago, he was the creator for Neymar and Suarez. Right now, he has to do everything, especially when Iniesta is no longer there mm. and Artur doesn't play. So you're asking 
Messi, to score the goals, to score the free kicks, to make the most of every pass he does and not to lose the ball. And I'm sorry, but in modern football, and probably in ancient football either, one player cannot do everything. And uh, Lionel Messi has covered plenty of dysfunctional things at Barcelona, and uh, all these dysfunctional things uh, were very visible the other day in Anfield. I wouldn't blame on Messi because me thanks to Messi, this tire was alive uh, by the 60th minute uh, at Anfield the other day. And contrast that with Liverpool, who lose um, Salah and Firmino, and they're able to bring in Horiki and um, and Shakiri, who had a pretty underwhelming first half. But they still they still slotted into the system. They still know what they're supposed to be doing. Let's give a little shout out to Hendo who's not always the most loved or appreciated of players, but played through the pain. Yeah, he was brilliant. And if you actually think back to England's World Cup team from last year, um, not many of them have had good seasons this year. Kieran Trippier, Deli Ali, only recently. But Henderson has been probably the best player uh, from that bunch. And Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's 19? 20. 20. 20 now, yeah. But that I've not seen that happen. I mean, probably you've seen things like that before, but... It, with that pressure, with that crucial a moment, to just think, no, you know what, I'm actually going to improvise something myself. Moment of the season for me, that. No, a lot of character it shows from, from him. And uh, I wasn't thinking that he was doing his best match. I actually, I mentioned that on first half. It was like, Trent, he, he could have been better because when, when Robertson was, uh, was substituted, uh, I was like, wow, Robert, Robertson's one of the, the main players here today. He was doing so well. And Trent is, isn't in his best night, but it was like a moment of brilliance. And after the, the match, I was interviewing Origi and uh, he mentioned that it wasn't necessarily trained, but it was on their subconscious. Because uh, responding that quickly okay. and being being always uh, looking for that aware yeah. of everything that was happening and that was very clear. It was very bold from from Trent and uh, Liverpool just knew how to respond to that. Shout out to to the uh, ball boy Oakley Cananier, yes. who not only sounds like the must-have eyewear for the Giro d'Italia, but um, got the <laughs> got the ball back really quickly to uh, to Trent, and you know helped that goal. I mean, something Liverpool spotted and, and worked on. Oh, oh really? They okay. told the ball boys to get the ball back quickly because Barcelona often take a while to set up uh, set pieces. Interesting. Benjamin Yeo says, "How about a flip reverse where Allison follows Klopp please in the first leg and goes up for the corner at the camp? No." Barcelona walked the ball into the empty net for a four-nil win. I didn't see that. Klopp urged Alisson up, did he? Yeah, and, and Alisson said uh, Alisson no. sort of thought about it and then didn't. Um, did a keeper? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you mentioned uh, Hendo, who's been brilliant this season, and I think his game evolved during the season because he had more liberty in, and now he he's he's more aware of his defensive side as well, besides uh, being there for uh, the, the, the midfielders and, and the, the forwards. But Fabinho was amazing because he got booked uh, in the in mm -hmm. the beginning of the match and then I thought okay so it's over for him because he's the he's the guy who who really uh, is his strong spot is like really marking and getting messy and getting all these dangerous players and even though he was booked he managed to to control this situation and he was very useful uh, in, in that match. Well, I believe that Fabinho uh, is also making Henderson a better player because uh, Jordan Henderson believes that he's, uh, he's not a holding midfielder. He thinks that he's much more than that. And uh, I think that they found uh, the position for Jordan Henderson, which is a very good thing. 
we should mention Wijnaldum as well. You know, oh, two goals from the bench. I mean, a few people have pointed out actually. You know, Newcastle got relegated with the midfield of Sissoko and Wijnaldum, um, and now they're both dominating Champions League semi-finals. Right. So. You can play a similar game with Southampton actually as well. Yeah. Mm. Liverpool have faced Spurs twice so far this season. They won both fixtures two-one, but it it means nothing now. They're all bets are off. It means nothing, and the, the victory of uh, Liverpool over Spurs in March all came down to a mistake from Hugo Lloris. But uh, those those clubs were very tight and uh, very levelled. I could say that the 24 points difference on the table won't be showing the real difference between Tottenham and Liverpool in the Champions League final. It's never good for any club to play another compatriot club. I believe that uh, that changes the thing a little bit because the losing factor, losing becomes like a more of a humiliation if right. you do lose because uh, you know how it goes. Uh, I mean, every group of it's friends... It's like huh? a six-pointer. Like, it you, is. Yeah. Absolutely it is. And, uh, and I believe that uh, Liverpool should come as a slightly favourite because they are a better team. I mean, they've got 24 more points than the Tottenham on the table, but at the same time, that big difference won't be shown in the game. I mean, people say Klopp can't win finals and Pochettino's never won anything. So one of those things is going to come to an end. be the longest extra time of all. Yeah, a penalty shootout that went on forever, which is theoretically possible. People forget that. Um, it's a loophole. Um, talking of penalties, this fixture in the Premier League has seen more penalties than any other. And obviously this will be the first time Liverpool and Tottenham play each other with VAR looming in the background so I, I suspect there's going to be some sort of VAR <laughs> shenanigans in the final one thing I did enjoy was at the the peak of the Ajax Tottenham game Jermaine Genus said things are happening which is both quite undescriptive but also brilliantly descriptive <laughs> and I think I think if there's a motto for the Champions League this season it's things are happening wonder what things will be happening on the Premier League final weekend. Or as some people call it, Natalie, Peter Crouch scores his goal day. Crouch has actually scored on the final day of six separate Premier League seasons, including both of the ones that you've been here for, the last two. Anyway, the final weekend, uh, final appearances for Huddersfield, Fulham and Cardiff, uh, and a bunch of players as well, like uh, Gary Cahill and uh, Andy Carroll and potentially, if they can find anyone to take him, Alexis Sanchez at Man U. Uh, there's a slim chance of Arsenal catching Tottenham. There's uh, a battle between Chelsea and Spurs for who's going to be third and who's going to be fourth. And of course, there's the title. Now, we thought this was dead and buried, but after the week that we just had, are we sure, Natalie, that the race is over? Uh... Uh, I'm not saying I'm, I'm sure, but I think it's very unlikely that uh, Man City will, will let it slip away. If you see uh, Brighton against uh, the top six, yes. they, their only win was on the second round, 3-2 against Man United at the time with yeah. Jose Mourinho. And then uh, they had two draws, and both uh, with Arsenal, two draws, and uh, eight losses. Okay. So... So uh, yeah, it, it's not. It, it doesn't look very inspiring, uh, especially considering the consistency that Man City has been has been showing. City that's won its last thirteen Premier League games, scoring yes. twenty eight goals, conceding just three. three. Brighton similarly hasn't won since early March and <laughs> has only had two goals since April. They have only lost once. Alvaro, in their last five home games against Man City in all competitions. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, I, 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 prepare my, I prepare my stats <laughs> and, and I tell you what, I think that there are statistics that can prove one thing or another or can um, validate every narrative. For example, the top of the table has changed 32. 
two times this season already, mm. which is a lot. Which is a lot. Yeah. Let's face it, James. But I, I can't. I, I agree with people who take issue with that stat. If it's because Liverpool played on the Saturday and Man City have played on yeah, the Sunday. That's true, that's true. But they, they've been chasing each other they have. Uh, relentless. And there is another stat that probably is more interesting this time. On the seven previous occasions the Premier League title has been decided on the final day, the leader at the start of the day has gone on to be the champion on each occasion. So there has not been a final twist in Premier yeah, League. The last time it did Mickey swap round was Michael Thomas. It's yeah. up for grabs now. Um, one slither of hope is City's worst ever Premier League defeat came on the final day in 2008 when they lost 8-1 at Middlesbrough <laughs> um, under Svenger and Eriksson. Now, I am don't think they'll lose 8-1 to Brighton, but you never know. <laughs> Brighton, though, and clearly I'm just saying this for the sake of saying it, but you never know. We can always clip this up for a special montage next week. Mm. You know? um, Brighton have been looking... They've produced some surprising draws of late. That nil-nil away to Wolves. They had a draw with Arsenal. A draw would be enough if Liverpool could beat Wolves, which, you know, for, for that matter, is not a given because Wolves have already beaten Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal and Man United And they played season. well against uh, Man City in the semi-finals of the FA Cup. Yes, they did. And against Arsenal the other day. Mm. They played good football. Or at least they, they put into practice very well their plan. I would say that uh, Chris Hutton has gone back to the basics in the, over the last month. Uh, Bruno, for example, is playing much more than before. I mean, the, the captain on the pitch, uh, Duffy and Dunk play forever. Uh, and they start by the defence first, and then they, they attack. And they attack very little. In fact, uh, Glenn Moore has scored 12 goals, but the next top scorer of Brighton and Hove Albion is uh, St. Duffy with five. And Brighton is the team that produces less shots of target in Premier League, which tells you that they they live of capitalizing the little chances they create and they try to start by the defense in first place. And this is going to be pretty much the plan against Manchester City, I'm afraid. It's going to be exciting to watch. All right, then, that's the title battle. Man City at Brighton, Liverpool hosting Wolves. Wolves, by the way, are guaranteed seventh place and their points tally of 57 is the most by a newly promoted side... Since, Duncan? Uh, Ipswich, um, who then followed that up by getting relegated (laughs) next season. Because everyone's going, what a great season Wolves had. Ipswich got 66 points. Yeah, they finishing nearly, fifth in they the nearly two got th- into the Champions League. Right, um, they got into the UEFA Cup, um, which sort of ruined them for the next season. But one slither of hope for Liverpool in omen terms: um, 1975-76, they needed a result against Wolves on the last day. Trailed one nil with 15 minutes to go, um, but won three one. And that was also a season when they knocked Barcelona out of the semi-finals of a European competition. Wow! So yeah. There you go. I've got a question for you because I was checking these stats. Uh, Newcastle in 1994, as a newly promoted team, got 77 points. I was too young and I lived in Spain, but how good was that Newcastle? 77 points after being promoted. It's an unbelievable, unbelievable fit. And Peter Beardsley were very, very good that season. What year was this? In 94, Newcastle. As a newly promoted mm. club, got 77 points. Be careful with uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Liverpool, because uh, they are a team who has gotten many points against the, the top six. In fact, they have gotten 16 out of 11 games. Only Manchester City and Liverpool has clinched more points against the top six. So Wolverhampton can be a really dangerous opponent. It's also the full-back slash wing-back uh, end-of-season conference because we've got Robertson and uh, Alexander-Arnold with 11 and 12 assists, respectively, and then Doherty with nine as well. Wolves, so. That's nice. That's nice. Other exciting things to look out for this weekend. We could see a Premier League record broken. Duncan, you across this? If there are more than 30 goals scored, then this will be the most prolific campaign 
of those featuring 380 matches. Exactly 30 goals would equal the record of 1,066, which was set in 1112. 1066 and all that. The top-scoring day in Premier League history actually was uh, the sort of the final day in 1993 when there were 47 goals across nine games. Wow. But in those days, they didn't respect drama, so they actually had some rearranged fixes after that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Talking about goals, uh, the golden boot is looking good for Salah. Mm. Yeah, because he has 22 goals and Aguero has 20 and Aubameyang has 20 and Mane 20. But uh, what a season for Salah because he's been questioned so many times and he can end up uh, the Premier League season with the golden boot. So so it really makes you think the way that he adapted during the season, he changed a little bit of, of the way uh, he was playing. Klopp mentioned that a few times, that, that he was playing uh, for the team, that he, he wasn't, uh, that he didn't have those individual performances like last year. My perception has been that he'd still been trying, that the longer he'd gone without producing the same kind of goal numbers, the, the more he tried to p- produce the same kind of individual exploits as last year, but but actually not. Yeah, Klopp mentioned a few times that he he was very, even in those stages where he wasn't scoring much, he was very use, useful to the team. He was playing for the team because he had a sequence of, of matches where he, he just wasn't scoring, and he, but he was playing well. Right. So he was consistent, but in a different way, I think. Well, in Klopp my, might have been being nice, you know. <laughs> Maybe. But, I mean, if he wins the Golden Boot, I mean, yep. that goal away at Southampton was brilliant. Mm. The goal yes. at home to Chelsea was one of the goals of the season. My favourite of the season. Was it your favourite of the season? Yes. There's a Son goal that I really like against oh. uh, Chelsea in <laughs> their first defeat of the season. And, obviously, the Andros Townsend one. Wow. Yes, I was going to mention That's true. One. That's and true. And the Eden Hazard yes. one against and West Ham. Yeah, yeah. And, and an Arsenal okay. team goal that Obama Young ended up scoring uh, against Leicester, I believe. Yeah. yeah. That was really, yeah, yeah. That I mean, one if of those was few assists. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. If team goals count... Uh, well, there's also the Arsenal one at Fulham as well when Ramsey sort of backheeled it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Anyway, loads of good goals. As we say, it could end up being the most prolific quality and quantity we shall see. Anyway, the, the fixture list for this uh, final weekend, Burnley taking on Arsenal. If Arsenal win that and Spurs lose against Everton and there's an eight-goal swing, then Yahoo! Arsenal get into the top four. Burnley have lost their last nine straight games against Arsenal, by the way. Spurs have beaten Everton already this season, 6-2. Watford are playing West Ham. A win there could see West Ham move up a couple of places. Palace have Bournemouth. Fulham take on Newcastle in the Alexander Mitrovic derby. Saints are up against Huddersfield. It's their third match this season against a team starting the day bottom of the table. They've won neither of the previous two, Duncan. Yeah, also, we all have a Huddersfield uh, angle, don't we? Oh, yeah. Um, and a last chance to have one well, as well. Well, yeah, as it stands, they've got the lowest goals per game rate for a team in Premier League history, 0.65, which is actually lower than Thierry Henry, Sergio Aguero and Harry Kane. So it'd be nice <laughs> if they can bang in a few goals and overtake some individual men and the other fixture oh two more fixtures one is Leicester uh, against Chelsea uh, with all sorts of talk about Hazard and that and then there's the Oli derby where Man United take on Cardiff where of course he first caught United's eye as a managerial prospect Dale Vince says please ask Natalie why Brazilian players have names like Fred, Malcolm, Arthur, Allen and Wallace? These are the sort of names I associate with English people born in the 1930s. <laughs> OK, to be fair, names like Malcolm and Wallace are not that common. 
He mentioned Fred, right? Yep. Yeah, Fred. Loads is, of Freds. Yeah, yeah, we, we have a few Freds. And uh, the other ones was... Uh, uh, Alan and Wallace. But oh, to, to yeah. be fair, these aren't names necessarily they've been given at birth. These are more nicknames, are they? Or No. These are no. actual... Yeah, Alan is an actual name. Right. Wallace is an actual name. Alan is pretty common okay. in Brazil. Yeah, yeah. really don't, don't know why. But okay. Yeah, yeah, we use these names. <laughs> what I find unbelievable is that sometimes in South America, and especially the Caribbean, um, some English names are translated uh, quite literally or uh, pronounced quite, li quite literally, Hammers Rodriguez being the most famous. But uh, there is a Cuban name, which is US Navy, which is US Navy. U.S. Navy, because there were many U.S. Navy uh, ships in Cuba at the right. time, and uh, there is a name in Cuba. Or uh, There are a few people called Usnavi, for instance. So uh, Some names come from the most random things you can uh, imagine. My mother at school, uh, my mother is a teacher, they had uh, a guy called Kevin Cosme, which is uh, Kevin Costner, but uh, Hispanized. So uh, right. yeah, uh, that, that is something that could happen, especially in the Caribbean, yes. Right. Wasn't um, wasn't Mycon uh, a, a, a Brazilianized version yes. of uh, Michael Douglas? Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. That's okay. true. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Names, eh? Right. We got a uh, little bit more to tell you about in this Totally Football Show. After this, it's the Football League playoffs. We've got the uh, the playoff semis coming up in the championship Saturday. Huge Midland derby between Aston Villa and West Brom. And Leeds away at Derby. And a little bit of backstory there, of course. It's going to be huge. They'll be talking about all of these games in the Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker. Uh, there's also fixtures from League One on Saturday and Sunday. Sunderland take on Portsmouth on Saturday in a reprise of the Checker Trade Trophy final, which went to penalties, Pompey winning that. And on the Sunday, Doncaster up against Charlton. And in League Two, excitingly, Alvaro, Newport against Mansfield. While on Friday, Tranmere will be aiming for back-to-back -back promotions under Mickey Mellon against Forest Green. That's the playoff news. As I say, totally Football League show for further info. Big question here from Finnegan Gringlebury. What's likely to happen if Bolton go out of business? Would League One be a team short, or would there be an extra team promoted to the Football League and a relegation reprieve for someone? Duncan. Well, the last time this actually happened was Maidstone United um, back in the early 90s, and the Football League decided to reduce the number of teams from Plan 94 to, to 92. So oh. there was a, still a season when I think there was an odd number of teams in the in the fourth tier, so one team had a week off every week. Okay. I, I, I believe that in this case only two teams would be relegated. But as you point out, that would mean that there's a shortfall further down mm. the tiers. Uh, let's hope that it doesn't come to that for Bolton A, although the prospects last I saw not good. That isn't the reverse opposite of what happened in Spain in the late 90s when uh, Sevilla and Celta uh, suffered the administration uh, relegation. And uh, the league had the very good uh, Salomonic idea of uh, bringing them back to the Primera División, all together with uh, the promoted teams from Segunda División. And La Liga had 22 teams uh, oh. for a season or two, which is the reverse opposite of what yeah, we are saying, guys. Yeah. It's similar in, in Italy, where uh, there was a guy called uh, Luciano Gauci who uh, owned loads of clubs, and he successfully brought an action against against the league because they'd allowed a result to stand against one of his teams which had featured a player who wasn't supposed to be playing and this went through court after court 
And the way the league resolved it was by saying, well, listen, the other teams can come up, but you can also have the points and you can come up as well. But the division above went, well, hang on, now we've got more. Of course. What are we going to do? <laughs> so they just promoted more teams to the top flight and then they ran out of teams to go up to. So that's how Serie A went to 20 teams. It was an teams. endless loop yeah. of gifts for everyone. Unfortunately, the Italians, that was back in the mid-90s and they're still with 20 teams as opposed to 18, which was a much better system. Anyway, anyway, uh, what's happening in Spain this weekend, Alvaro? Well, probably the most important, the most interesting thing for for me, and I believe that for uh, globally for everyone, is what Real Madrid is doing, uh, how the casting of uh, Zinedine Zidane is going on, uh, because there are uh, many players uh, that uh, still we don't know is yet to be determined whether they will stay at Real Madrid next season. And uh, the player who is getting big play time at the minute is uh, Brahim Diaz and Mariano, uh, who scored a couple of goals the other day. So Brahim is definitely raising a couple of fibros in Madrid because he's playing good football. And uh, aside from that, I would like to see how uh, Camp Nou receives and welcomes Barcelona after uh, the defeat uh, against Liverpool. Barcelona plays Getafe. Getafe will play actually for something because if they win, they will keep uh, the arithmetical chances of depending on themselves to qualify for championship for next season. Wow, yeah. So Getafe will take the game very seriously and Barcelona cannot afford to lose that game. And... Uh, also, Girona could be relegated if they lose their game against Levante, mm. or uh, depending on how the results go. So we could have uh, three teams relegated by the 37th uh, weekend of the of the season if Girona lose, loses this weekend. Okay, so you got three more rounds to go. Uh, yeah, uh, we are. Uh, well, we've got two more rounds. Two to more go. rounds. Yeah, to yeah. Go. Sorry, right. This okay. is the round number thirty-seven. Yeah. Oh, this one here is okay. Yeah. Super. In France, they got three rounds to go, and there's the battle between Lyon and Saint-Étienne for third. Monaco still at risk of going down. You know, only three points from the drop. Italy, three rounds to play. A lot of excitement about the race for fourth place and possibly third, where Atalanta, who've been the story of the season, are now only one point behind Inter. Some suggestions that in the managerial merry-go-round, Inter will be picking up Antonio Conte next season and Atalanta boss Giampiero Gasparini will be heading down to Roma, who are another of the top four contenders. Uh, this weekend, anyway, uh, tens of thousands of Atalanta fans are expected to head to Genoa to watch the La Dea continue their chase for third place. And, of course, they've got the Coppa Italia coming up next week, the final. We, we do a big golazzo all about... Atalanta, their good times and and their bad times uh, this week. So do join us for that. It's already up with uh, James Horncastle and Gabriele Marcotti. In Germany, just two games to play. Bayern are four points clear of Borussia Dortmund. RB Leipzig hosts Bayern this weekend. They're safe in third and there's an almighty kind of cluster. Five teams and three points for fourth. Um, Is there anything else anybody else wants to talk about? Uh, Yeah, the Chelsea... Transfer ban uh, ah. has been confirmed because uh, FIFA hasn't rejected the Chelsea appeal. And from the Spanish uh, perspective, uh, this obviously may hinder a little bit Eden Hazard's uh, move to Real Madrid uh, because uh, Real Madrid is looking for for a player to play uh, in that position, especially because Gareth Bale is pretty much uh, not featuring at all for Real Madrid uh, at the minute. With this transfer ban, it's very likely that uh, Granovskaya uh, will get uh, more difficult to deal with because Chelsea cannot sign any player from now on until June 2020. Interesting, because I, I, 
I'd always assumed, or I think that's the way it's been depicted, that it doesn't really matter what Chelsea want, Hazard wants to leave. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, if uh, Chelsea puts a really difficult price tag for Real Madrid, right. uh, they may consider some other options as well. Okay. So Hazard not uh, having any replacement until June 2020, I cannot see how that plays in favour of Real Madrid because Chelsea will uh, make the player more expensive. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that maybe that was why they signed Pulisic in the winter transfer window, just That's because true. they knew this was coming. Um, it's also good news, I guess, for Chelsea players whose contracts are, are running out, like David Luiz, you know, you'd think would get a, another year at least because yeah. you can't sign anyone externally. So. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, I spoke to David Luiz uh, last week and he said he was very confident about his new contract. So th this looks well. But about Hazard, we were pretty sure that he was going to leave uh, after the World Cup and, and he didn't. And I think there's one thing that, that Hazard has already shown is that he cares about Chelsea. He, he likes the club. So maybe the ban, the transfer ban will have some weight in his decision of leaving Chelsea or not. It's just, it's a factor that cannot, I, I don't think he's like that cold-hearted of just leaving Chelsea and whatever, you know. So maybe there's some hope for Chelsea fans that he stays after this, this ban. Fingers crossed, eh, Natalie? Now, let's find out some odds on some of the major footballing issues we've been discussing. Producer Ben here with Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Listener, you know who's on the line. It's Lee Price. He's from Paddy Power. And Lee, we're going to talk about the odds, as we have done all season long. Now, it's far too tight to call at the top of the Premier League table, so let's go to the other end. What are the odds, please, on Huddersfield, Fulham and Cardiff all going out of the Premier League with a bang and winning their final games? <laughs> That's an almighty treble, Ben. But to be fair, you have struck gold with these before. So the price for each of the relegated teams saying goodbye to the Premier League with a win is 289 to 1. The longest odds there are Cardiff and Old Trafford. But given that United were unable to beat one of the worst teams in Premier League history last time out, perhaps it isn't so laughable after all. Let's talk about a couple of imminent departures, question mark. Lee, is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer still going to be the Man United manager at the start of next season? Well, Ole is at the wheel. He just can't reach the pedals, it appears. We do think, though, that he'll keep driving next season. However, there's only so many L plates Edward would can put up with. He's odds-on to be in charge of the first day of the new season, but less convincing a price to keep his parking spot, not that one, obviously, in 2020. And what about Eden Hazard? Another fantastic season at Chelsea. They've qualified for the Champions League. Is that enough to keep him in London? Yeah, we think he's heading off, as is everyone in the world, it seems, apart from Pat Nevin, as he revealed to your show a few weeks ago. It's 1-6 to six that Hazard joins Real Madrid this summer, i.e. done deal. It's 4-1 to one that he stays put, which... Given Chelsea's transfer uncertainty, could prove to be generous, but we don't think so. We rate him as one of the most certain transfers of the summer. Sorry, Chelsea fans. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. And, uh, you know, stops the word, really, in a very real sense for, the, for much of the season, although not across Europe. With this weekend, I'm, I'm off to Bratislava again tomorrow for Very nice. the Ice Hockey World Championship, Salva. <laughs> it's ever so exciting. 
Oh, you can you know hear what happens there. We, we have a, a podcast, totally ice hockey yeah. show. I, I tell you what, I lived mm. in Scandinavia for a year, and right. uh, not only ice hockey is massive, but the potential audience uh, for ice hockey is very big because uh, Canada, United States are English-speaking countries, yes. and Scandinavian countries are English-speaking countries as well. So good luck with that. You know, made the best team win and all that. It's going to be exciting. Uh, sadly, Spain are not there. No, we're not. We're no, not very it, good at the Winter Olympics, really. No, Italy are there. Did you know? It's quite a lineup. <laughs> I'm what, betting. I'm betting Brazil isn't in the. No, no Brazil. Yeah, no. yeah. Not, not a big sport for you, but you've got no. the Copa America to look forward to. Yes, we do very much. It's huge. When does that start, Natalie? 14th of June Ooh. and it ends uh, in the 7th of July. Right. So, yeah, and us Brazilians were kind of concerned about the form of many of our players because they they haven't been like key players. We, we mentioned Coutinho, mm -hmm. Neymar. Neymar. Don't, yeah, don't even get me started on right. that. Right, and people talk about him being stripped to the captaincy because he's been slapping yes, fans. There's, and... Yes, yes, there's a real chance that that happens. There's a lot of pressure on Titi, on, on our manager, because of that. People don't uh, are arguing against uh, Neymar being captain. So there are a few players who have struggled uh, with injuries, like Vinicius Jr. Uh, we've had, like... Gabriel Jesus isn't playing much. Uh, William isn't playing much at Chelsea. They were key players in uh, in the national team. So you've got Lucas yeah. Moura. You are well covered. Hmm. Yes. Well, <laughs> we have, and he's been called up just once for Titi. Uh, Is that right? Yes. Yes. Only uh, in the friendly matches in October against Saudi Arabia and Argentina, and he was called up because another player was injured. Right. So that's that's interesting, and there's an expectation of uh, David Neres from Ajax right. being called up. He didn't play yesterday because of an, a late injury, but he did really well when he got uh, two opportunities in the last friendly matches. So, yeah, Richardson is doing well uh, and he always does well in the national team. Mm -hmm. uh, Thiago Silva has an injury too. We don't know if he's going to be able to recover in time, a knee injury. Uh, Danny Alves might be a surprise because he's 35 already and he didn't get called up for, for any of the friendly matches but he's such a strong personality and many people feel that the Brazilian team needs that now a, a strong leadership okay. so lots to look forward to Copa Absolutely. America although the Copa America doesn't have any of those kind of surprise guest they, teams this they, they do they do oh do they yeah. uh, Japan is playing oh, this is Japan on uh, uh, oh, and Qatar uh, and both in Mondrius which is Tana so they do my mistake so it's Qatar Qatar and Japan as far as I remember yeah right. the, the yeah. finalist of the Asian Cup they have been invited to the Copa America brand they should right. do a, a tournament where they get all the countries from around the world to play all together. Right. Be good, I reckon. A Qatar could host it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it then, listener. Uh, do join us, and by us I don't mean me, because I'll be away, but uh, Matt Davis-Adams will be doing a much better job of it. Uh, hosting Michael Cox, Daniel Story, and James Horncastle. So, strong lineup. Strong. There'll be an FA Cup final preview and all sorts of other stuff in that. So, that's a uh, must not miss appointment for you on Monday. Many thanks for now to Natalie Jedra, to Alvaro Romeo, and to Duncan Alexander for being with us today. We'll catch you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand.
Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life really, and here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.